We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports brand sponsorship and partnership. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, as all of the information is for educational purposes only. This week we have two guests from the brand EPOS. Also, a special thank you to them for the awesome headset they sent me. It's very stylish and I really enjoy playing with it on my PlayStation. So, you know, hashtag ad. So to start, please introduce each of yourselves and tell us a little about your role with the company. Absolutely. Um, my name is Maya. I head up global marketing for the gaming side of our company. Um, and then I head up our brand management team, which is the team that's working on developing this new brand EPOS in audio. Um, I have a background in, in sports marketing and brand building in general. So... I was really excited about the opportunity of moving into the space of gaming, uh, where there's a lot I could use from my time in, in traditional sport, but also really gets to merge entertainment and sport at, a, at another level. So that's me. Amazing. Cool. Uh, my name is Jacob. Um, I've been with EPAS for a little bit more than eight years. Um, and my role is esports specialist. I work um, closely together with Maya on finding the right partners for EPAS, putting together a nice portfolio of partners and um, making sure that we do a lot of cool content with them and, and activate them throughout the year. Um, I've been a gamer, gamer most of my life, I would say. Um, so it's, it's quite fun to be able to actually work with gaming and esports. Well, thank you guys for both joining us. So tell us a little about your past esports and gaming experience. You know, I guess you kind of started to touch on it. You know, what was the first game you played and how did you get involved in the business? Sure, I, I can start here. Um, so I think the first game I played, um, that's a really, really good question. Probably something uh, on a Game Boy or um, very, very old school NES. Um, I've been gaming since very young age um but i think really um maturing in in the later years uh, going through school i started gaming a lot more um and with warcraft 3 i think that was something that really caught my eye and where i first noticed the whole esports side of things um going from then warcraft 3 into to dota um and and really following that community closely um and then i just think in, in denmark um 
it feels like everybody is, is kind of into Counter-Strike. So um, that's something that's always been interesting to me. We've always had really good teams and it was always fun to follow um, some of those stars when they competed uh, internationally. Awesome. Yeah. Well, for me, um, I've, I've actually never really gamed. Um, I've always uh, been wrapped up in combat sport and soccer and latest I worked on, on ice hockey, but, uh, but also um, done a lot of sports myself. Uh, and I'm just all about that experience you get when you engage in a community and with fans and that link that you get across and this sounds cliche, but culture and nations and, and, and geographies when, when you engage in sport, whether you're participating yourself or, or you are, you are um, uh, viewing sport or the audience. Um, and uh, after I finished uh, a project with the Ice Hockey World Championship uh, that was hosted in Denmark in 2018, I was looking for what should be my next adventure. Um, and EPAS was about to launch, so they were looking for someone to help launch that brand within gaming and they already had people like Jacob uh, on the team so so there were some really strong experts within the field um, and I thought that was really fascinating getting to move into to uh, to this this industry and uh, and get to apply all my knowledge for a traditional sport but still get to work with this whole community um, vibe and and atmosphere and and uh, Activate everything that uh, that sport, whether it's esports or traditional sport, can really do when you engage with an audience. Definitely. So, what kind of you know, have you noticed between working in traditional sports now in the esports world? Any kind of similarities? What are some differences? Definitely, lots of similarities. But I think that's also because as we see esports mature, a lot of the people from traditional sports has merged over to esports. They are kind of for esports organizations and teams. They are the natural people to reach out to and pull in um, because they can work on everything from the competition size to the com commercial side of of actually driving revenue around esport. Um, so, so I mean fans engage because they want someone to root for they want to be part of a community they want to um cheer for their hometown hero and that's the same uh, independent of, of of what sport you're looking into i think what's really fascinating about esport is that you have this whole new breed of people who comes out of um what is essentially entertainment at a level that traditional sport had to learn across decades. Esport has gone straight into that and merged sports and entertainment. And I think that's what's fascinating and also the, lot, the big opportunity. You'll, you'll hear me preach a lot about, I hope we will take all the good things from traditional sport, but also challenge ourselves to um, explore what else can we can we do when we when we merge entertainment and sport because esport really has that opportunity. Definitely, you know, I know myself coming from the more traditional entertainment and sports world, always been a lifelong gamer, but kind of seeing the similarities, kind of the ways the fans engage, the way talent kind of brings themselves out and their whole kind of personality. So, you know, I definitely see a lot of you know similarities between them and. You know, it's great that you're kind of now working in the space. So tell us a little about the company. What are some of the products that they offer and you know what makes them unique from some of the other ones out there on the market? 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, EPAS is uh, we, we are a bit of a funny hybrid because we are a new brand and a new company, but we actually built on the legacy of um, a company named uh, Sennheiser Communication, which was a joint venture between Sennheiser, the well-known brand within music and, and consumer and business, um, uh, and Demand, which is a global leader in hearing aids. And you wonder why did they get together and started to do amongst others, gaming products, because Sennheiser had a brand. Demand had an expertise on how the human brain processes audio. So they knew how to engineer audio so that you get the, the, the best experience, the most lifelike experience and the experience that the people who created the audio you're listening to intended for. Um, a couple of years back, the two companies decided to part way and Damon said, well, we really like what we're doing in gaming. So we're going to take the company and move it into a new format. And then we're going to relaunch under the brand EPOS. Uh, and the whole thing with EPOS is to build on the legacy and all the knowledge that has been built up uh, with, the, with, the, with, um, with our time with Sennheiser and then add all that new knowledge we had from Damon uh, on how you engineer audio um, to really create the best experience for the listener. Um, so we launched EPAS with the ambition of providing the market with a new perspective on audio and what it can do for the gaming experience. If you really want to stretch it, then, you know, uh, when you look at the hierarchy, then you tend to go visuals, graphics first when you do your gaming setup, and then you have your mice, a keyboard, or your controller, console, and then you have audio. Well, we're here to say that audio should definitely be up at the same level as a lot of the other peripherals because it, it can really complete your gaming experience. Um, and this year we launched the concept of Brain Adapt, which is the philosophy and expertise that our products are built on, um, and which is all about how when you have the right audio, you can really enhance decision-making, uh, your ability to focus, in-game communication, so you can give yourself a competitive edge and or you can really let yourself be immersed in the game. Um, and EPOS is a portfolio of primarily headsets, um, everything from plug and play uh, wired headsets to um, uh, our uh, A3 Pro hybrid, which is a wireless product with noise cancellation and audio mixing and uh, what have you. And then we also have uh, streaming products um, in a um, standalone microphone and we have in-ears. So we just got started, uh, but, uh, but already a lot of exciting products in market. Amazing. So tell us a little about some recent partnerships for the brand. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think just focusing on, on some of the deals that we did this year, um, we continued our partnership with Blast uh, and extended that for a, a couple of um, years more. Blast is, is a partner I think we've been really happy to work with um, and, and they're quite unique in, in the esports scene and I think specifically in CSGO with just the the high level of focus on production quality and, and everything that they're doing is, is premium taking um, how an esports tournament can look and feel um, to, to the next level. Um, and here, I think it also go, goes back actually to Maya's initial point about entertainment. That they, it's for them, it's not just about esport or competition. It's really about entertainment and and creating a 
next level um, esports broadcast. So so they're kind of the perfect partner for us in in um, in EPAS as a premium brand in, in gaming. Um, then we also um, announced a partnership with PSG LGD, um, which is the the Chinese Dota 2 team um, of uh, PSG Esports and uh, LGD Gaming in China, um, which is, has been a huge success for us as well. Um, going into China, um, it's been key for us that we had a local partnership um, to activate and um, talk about to the um, local audience and um, with with PSGLGD, we we have a really strong um, brand coming from more traditional sports, um, but we also have some of the best and most like most likable players in Dota. So um, been very happy about that partnership. And and lastly, we um, announced a partnership with Heroic this year, um, which fits really well with our strategy. Um, another Nordic brand and someone who's quite established in esports, I would say, um, as as a team brand, but um, still in that up and coming phase so um there was really a good match in terms of two kind of young brands um going on on a journey together for for this year um and yeah it was it was a perfect fit um and allows us to to do some great activations um with them being located in nordics as well it it obviously makes uh, everything just a little bit more easy Amazing. So I kind of noticed that you work with both esports organizations as well as league and tournament operators. Why have you taken this approach? Is there any differences when you're dealing with, you know, the esports stakeholders versus traditional gaming ones? Yeah, so I think at the moment we are sponsoring um, three overactive media teams. So Toronto Ultra, Toronto Defined Mad Lions, and then we're partnered with Heroic and PSG LGD, as Jacob mentioned, and then two tournaments, ESL Australia and Blast. Um, well, the first thing when we structure our portfolio is we structure it around geographical relevance in terms of what markets are important for us to to get um, to build our brand in. And then around relevant game titles, so where can we best tell our story around audio? Um, CSGO being a good example of how audio can make a difference in, in your competitive edge, uh, if you're able to hear where people are coming from, where the enemy is coming from, what's happening around you. Um, activation opportunities across the year is also what we structure our portfolio around. So we don't want everything to take place in one month and then we have the rest of the year to figure out um, and then we pick strong regional and local partners of relevance to key markets. And then when they come together in one portfolio, the whole kind of becomes even bigger than the individual parts. So, so that's some of the more um, uh, functional things that goes into figuring out who to partner with. And, and in terms of why we then, and, and leagues and teams just offers different opportunities and they offer, um, especially towards this, being able to activate across uh, the whole year, being able to activate across different channels um, and with kind of different purposes. So you have teams that allows us to really engage directly with esports athletes um, and, and give that personality spin to our product communication and content uh, we, we develop. And then you have tournaments, which is more of a media platform for, for ongoing brand exposure um, and um, and live activation of the brand uh, at events, which is a great way for us to have our brand come to life uh, and show the experience to the fans coming there. So 
I'd say in short, all in all, mix, mixturing things kind of um, allows for flexibility uh, and uh, and a and a wider opportunity to to activate uh, across different types of activities and channels and and the full calendar year. And then it minimizes risk, right? Uh, if for some reason something happens um, with a team uh, lockdown in China and suddenly they can't participate in any organize in, in any tournaments, well then we have tournament that still gives us uh, um, uh, exposure and activation opportunities. Absolutely. So what kind of unique opportunities have been created with working with a team? Is it more just kind of being their official headset or are, you, are they actually giving you feedback on the product, things that they think might you know help them in competitions? Oh, um, it's, it's definitely working with the teams on the product. Um, that that's something that I think is is quite unique. Um, just recently, we had um, the Heroic CS:GO team um, visiting the EPAS HQ, and there we had a um, long, I think, two-hour session um, with the players working together directly with our um, R&D department and our sound engineers, um, which was really based about our internal um, research and, and development, understanding the exact needs and, and wants of the players um, and allowing the players to really sit down um, with the people that are making the headset and, and um, giving directions on, on what they feel is really key for their um, performance. Um, so I think that that's a really cool and, and unique aspect. And to be honest, I think it's also something that, that the players really enjoy that, um, that they're being taken seriously and, um, that, you know, a company that they're working with is, is not just uh, a commercial partner, but it's actually trying to, to help them when it comes to their performance in, uh, in game. Absolutely. So, do you feel that using these headsets, you know, makes the com- communication quicker, more cleaner, crisper? You know, does it have some effect on their actual in-game communication? Yeah, it's it's a bit of everything. Um, so, for for them, it's multiple aspects. Of, obviously, the microphone is is important, as as you mentioned, um, that it's clear and direct, um, that it doesn't pick up a lot of outside noise. So for them, communication is absolutely key. Um, and one thing is in-game, a lot of things will be going on, um, but also at certain times during sp- stressful situations, the communication will be be quick and, and um, a bit hectic. So that's really key that everything that is being said is being heard clearly, that they're not picking up a ton of background noise, whether that be from keyboards or um, people sitting next to each other, bleeding into each other's headsets or microphones. Um, so, so those are some really key aspects in terms of um, optimizing the communication um, for, for the players. Interesting. I guess it's one of those things you never realize that, you know, you're in the heat of the battle and, you know, it's like you're shooting, but you're in a gunfight and there's so much going on, but you're still trying to tell people what to do and you want to make sure that, you know, everything in those high stressful situations is accounted for. Yeah. And I also think that this is exactly where this this philosophy, brain adapt and, and expertise really applies because what what happens the moment you and I sit and speak here over, well, we get artificial audio, right? Because we're not in the same room face to face. We are listening to each other. I'm talking into a mic. It's coming through you, through ear cups, right? And, and that means it goes into your ears and now your brain starts to process. 
And because it's artificial sound, as opposed to us being face to face, your brain works harder now because it, 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 it has to work a little harder on, but where is it coming from? It doesn't have the visual cues it otherwise would have. I don't, do I recognize that voice? Um, so if I'm your teammate and you're used to hearing me, but suddenly my voice is a little changed due to the microphone, not picking up well enough or, 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 or uh, uh, transmitting the, the, my voice as I sound in real life, your brain will work harder to try to recognize. And, Every little margin that your brain works harder to try to process artificial sound or audio is taking away from your ability to focus, communicate, and and react when you are in the game. And and that's exactly what we are able to do with our products because we have that expertise on what it takes, like how do you make artificial sound as easy as possible for your brain to process. Um, and as Jacob said, it's it's key that you don't have to spend extra time of energy processing that your teammate is talking to you you need that perfect microphone that transmitted so that it's recognizable easy picked up and then you can focus on being in the game but it's little margins and it's happening without you really knowing it so but but when you put on that headset that can deliver that audio it's it's um actually uh, and this is some of the research we're coming out with later this year and beginning of next year uh, we have all the proof points for how it will actually optimize your performance Interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, we see a trend, you know, especially in the esports world now of having, you know, medical doctors and sports psychologists and, you know, trainers and nutritionists and just kind of focusing on the mental and the physical and how this will increase your performance. And it really sounds like the product adds that next element, you know, the brain hacking that they kind of call it, where you're kind of optimizing your your brain's kind of response to the sounds it's hearing so that it doesn't have to work as hard so you can focus on clicking that extra millisecond quicker which you might not even realize but at this level that's the difference between you know winning a gunfight or not exactly exactly and it's back to as you said you see we see these people being pulled in from traditional sport right where they worked with athletes for so long uh, on on these things and now they're coming into esport and uh your equipment is important, right? You won't have a, a, a professional football player running onto the field in some random sets of shoes that he just yeah, He's not up. wearing his sandals that he's wearing in the locker exactly. room. Exactly. Yeah. So is the brand considering expanding to work directly with professional gamers or streamers? Is this kind of something that they're looking at or do they find more benefit from the teams and the leagues? At this point, we have a really solid portfolio um, and, and our focus is really on activating that and, and amplifying and getting everything out of those partnerships. You know, when you go into partnerships, it takes a while to kind of get to know each other. It's like any other relationship, right? You start dating, then you get to know each other, then you figure out the ins and outs of the relationship. So our focus right now is we're in a really good place with the portfolio we have. We have some really solid relationships um, and working relationships with our partners, and, and we want to focus on um, getting the most out of them. What will come in the future really depends on our marketing strategy and, and the go-to-market plans for our brand, because in the end, any type of partnership we do, whether we choose a team, an organization, uh, individual players or streamers, um, then, then it has to, of course, support our, our overall uh, strategies and plans for the brand. So, so it really depends on the next steps we are taking uh, as to whether or not we'll go into 
today we work with with some streamers um, at, a, at a more localized level and for campaigns. But um, let, let's see what's to come in the future. Awesome. So in the past, are there any, you know, the gaming activations that you've done that, you know, notice have worked, you know, better than others? Are there any elements you're seeking to improve on in the future? I think one of the things we've been very successful on is setting up relationships that are true partnerships, um, where we work professionally and creatively with our, with our esports partners. So it's not for lack of a better word, purely a transaction of we give you some money and, and you give us what's in the contract. But we, we want it to be, okay, what can we actually, what can we create together of activation and, and activities that'll engage and entertain the fans? And it needs to be something that's authentic, not just for us, but also for our partners and for the fans. So we did Audio Advantage with Blast, where we had them do an animated series where uh, um, some of their tournament participating teams talked about situations where audio had made a difference for them. Um, we've done coaching sessions with some of our properties. So I, th- I think a lot of the success in, in, in good sponsorships is in having relationships that are authentic for both parties. Um and, and then the second part is Jacob and team does a really great job in getting our partners really excited about our brand and products because let's not kid ourselves. Of course, fans, uh, they know that, that, that we are there because we are paying as a sponsor, but we still want it to be legit. We don't want to work with someone who says, oh, I wouldn't use that product uh, if I wasn't paid for it. So, so we spend a lot of time getting our, our product managers and engineers out meeting with the, the teams and the tournaments we sponsor, um, setting up the equipment, training them in using our products. Um, and, and I think that's another part of, you know, the strong relationships with with the with the with the entity and and this whole really spending resources and hours on getting um, the entities we we sponsor excited about our brand and our our products um, and then for us esport is a, a sponsorship is a brand building activity it's 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 about you know getting our brand out to as many gamers as possible um so raising awareness around our brand but also ensuring a perception of the brand that's that's in line with the position we would like to take and and that legitimacy around why are we in gaming what's our proposition that makes it legit that we're there um but we also uh, in this year, and that'll be something we'll definitely continue to work and improve on, is ensuring that we can also do tactical activation all the way down to um, uh, sales level. So uh, meet and greet with, with with teams out in, in some of our flagship stores um, and, and these kind of more tactical activations. So definitely this whole um, uh, activating the properties across several types of marketing initiatives and and uh, and and throughout the the whole journey for when people engage with our brand is something we'll continue to focus on and, and that can always it's an ongoing in, improvement or journey absolutely and i think an important point that you made is you know you didn't just want it to be like oh we're just giving you headsets and you're using them you wanted it to actually have value to show that there's something unique about having this high quality audio and that it beyond just immersing you in the game it actually has a competitive advantage and i think ultimately the reason people use you know different keyboards or different mouses or certain controllers you know these modified controllers 
is to get that added half of a second trigger finger or to be able to do something just a little bit quicker than your opponent. And, you know, I think that when you're focusing authentically on what makes your product unique, it gives the fans and the community the ability to be like, okay, well, there actually is something here. You know, we can get a HyperX, a Turtle Beach, you know, any of these other headsets, but this will actually potentially give me an edge when I'm, you know, competing or playing. And ultimately that's what really matters, you know, to teams and players, I would say. Exactly. And that's also what makes it so interesting when you work with, with esports partners that that storyline also translate into the more mainstream gamers, right? I mean, I put on my compression socks when I go running because I've, I've, I've learned from professionals that it'll give me an itch. I'm a, I'm a mainstream leisure runner. I'm not certain it'll make the big difference, but, but that storyline is so important for us because it's it's also the link into using our esports partners not only to reach the esports communities but also tell a story of of relevance to a mainstream audience um, about you know we work with experts within their field and and um, and when they can see the benefit in in what expertly engineered audio does then then that's the value proposition to the broader market as well um, so we want to be we want to be in gaming because we believe we can deliver something uh, of value there but we also want it to be legit and 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 that's why we work with these partners to tell that story definitely and you've definitely selected some you know really interesting ones so are there any specific social media platforms that you've noticed are, you know, more beneficial to what you're doing or, you know, ones that maybe just don't work as well or the ones that you kind of focus on more as you're kind of undergoing these activations? Yeah, I think just from from a broad marketing and then Jacob can talk a lot more into when it's specifically about our esports partners, but but we activate across um, most social media platforms and then in Japan and China, some very specific ones for those countries. Um, so, so there are some platforms that are very key to when we engage with the esports e- e- community. But uh, we we want to be able to use our esports partners in activation across all platforms. But but I know uh, Twitter and Jacob can talk a lot more to this. is is key when when we really talk to the esports community. Yeah, as as Maya said, I think Twitter is the key. Um media when it comes to talking to esports both fans and professionals that's um, from my experience where most of the esports community really lives um, so it's just a native platform to be on and and that's where most of the engagement and activation happen it's we obviously make content that we use across all of our social media channels and it's key for us to activate them all but when it really comes to um, to dialogue uh, engagement with fans and other um teams uh, and and brands then it's really all about um and twitter interesting because i've some brands have said they have a lot of success on youtube with unboxing videos and you know i think tiktok you know you get a lot of impressions i don't necessarily know how much that translates into you know sales but you know it's really interesting to see how different brands use different platforms and you know i think the fact that you have this whole asian you know, marketing wing really adds another element to it. Do you see as using streaming platforms like Twitch or, you know, what they have elsewhere, or is it more focused on the tournaments and the players are actually on these platforms? Well, it's, it's definitely both, I would say. Um, so it, it's absolutely key for us um, that when, 
you know the players are not competing or specifically training uh boot camping up to a tournament then then we always want them to to be online and um working with teams we we always work with the streamers as well as much as possible um to make sure that we are visible across um the the full week or the full years as Maya mentioned earlier there will be times where there won't be a tournament on but then we can be there together with the players when they're streaming or um or creating content and i think that's really key as well um to show um also to the fans that whenever they're at home uh in a more natural setting they're still using epas because that's that's really the product that they like right so so i think that's definitely key um and and it's really about activation i think um maybe in the early days of esports and and general sponsorships you could maybe um put the logo on a jersey and make sure they they put your logo across their social medias and and post it maybe once or twice per month but but to be honest i don't think that's enough um and and it shouldn't be enough i think it's really about how we work with um our teams our players um to create content and make sure that content lives across all platforms whether that be social media our own website the websites of our retailers or even in store i think that's that's what really makes it exciting um i recently saw a post by a guy in australia who was super excited to see um an epas at in store uh, in australia with with kadian on it from heroic right so so he was really happy to to go online and share that and and for the player himself it was quite fun to to you know see his own face in a store in australia um so I think that's that's really where you can get the most value out of the partnership. It is key that our partners activate us and, and make sure we are present across the touch points. But I think it's just as much the value we can bring from from creating really nice content with these athletes and, and making sure that we use it when whenever we do a campaign or do something in store, whether that be in Australia, uh, in the Nordics or, or the US. Definitely, you know, kind of gives them some legitimacy that they're seeing themselves in, you know, major stores associated with a product, which we know hasn't always been the norm, especially in the esports world. Yeah, exactly. I think there's been, been a lot of cases of, you know, sponsorships that, that start uh, with a big bang. And um, after two months, then you almost forget it's there, right? Because then it's it's maybe a monthly post on social media and a logo on a jersey and, and that's it. So I think it's really key to ongoingly activate and, and making sure that you do it across all the, these key touch points. Definitely. So kind of bringing this towards the end, what advice do you have for any you know potential teams or any other people in the esports scene that are potentially trying to work with your brand you know, in the future or... Um, for me, that's um, really key is that they know their audience and know how to activate their audience um, and that they can show that through cases and, and results. Um, if if you've ever been approached by teams or tournament partners across gaming and esports, I think especially um, back in the days, you would always see that gaming is this big or esports is it's why billion it's a dollar billion business. dollars, right? <laughs> exactly. But it's like, yes, but where do you come in? Like, where's your piece of the cake? How, who do I target when, when I work with you? Um, and, and I've seen cases of teams, you know, being from one country, having players split across 
six other countries um and and that makes it really difficult um at, at least for me um because then the audiences will just be split and it's really really difficult to target so i think it's really key that when when you approach a brand as a, a team um or a tournament organizer that you know your audience you know where are people coming from and you know how to activate that audience so that that you can show we've done this and that um and and it had these specific results i think that's that's definitely key and it also shows that you can work seriously with your partnership uh, and and show engagement of your fan base because i think that that is absolutely key is how good are you at activating your fan base and um getting them excited about your team but also your partners as well 100%. I think that's one of the, you know, the biggest advice that people bring if you're really trying to present like hey, we have this many people in this area, we are doing this and can get you sales and conversions and people knowing about your brand, you need to show that you've done it previously and what the success is. And I think, you know, as you've mentioned, a lot of these people are like, "Oh, well we have this many followers and this many views and they focus on these more superficial metrics when realistically being able to get a thousand people to do anything you want in a certain area is pretty valuable. You know, if you extrapolate it to 10,000 to 100,000 to, you know, a million, it just kind of grows from there. And I think people kind of overlook that fact. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree. And, and I think those um, organizations that people have been most uh, excited about lately as also those that have shown that they can really create excitement from the fans whether that be through limited drops or meet and greets or whatever it can be where they can really draw a lot of people um, to either an online activation or physical activation and, and drive a lot of excitement around the brand and, and that's really what, what brands and, and partners want. Amazing. So, you know, what's the future of the brand in the esports and gaming world? Is there any works for the college and high school scene, or is it more focused on the professional world? Um, I definitely could see um, we're still a relatively new brand, been around for, for two years now, um, which isn't much when you are rolling out a global brand. Um, and especially not in such a competitive space and with, with a very demanding audience, which is amazing and scaring at the same time. Um, so so for now, as said, it's really about focusing on the, on the esports partners we have and activating them, but could definitely see a grassroots program coming up in the near future. That would be um, a really nice way to go uh, to also show our general support to the esports community. Um, and and the continued development of of esports, um, we in the future, as as said, it's also about how can we use our esports partnerships to also activate towards a more mainstream audience, um, because it's 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 just you can create some magic when you bring experts together, and that's what we do when we take our audio engineers and bring them together with the athletes, uh, the best of the best from the sport, and then have them talk together and 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 um, play almost together on on uh, on audio um, and and their passion for for esports. So so a lot more focus on that in the future and how we can bridge use that to kind of bridge the gap to to a mainstream audience as well. Um, and then this whole getting the story out around Brain Adapt. Um, we have some uh, exciting projects coming up where we have some 
of our sponsored teams coming to visit our research facilities and hopefully taking part in, in a few experiments in a good way up there. Um, so, so um, yeah, that's, that's what in, in the future for right now. Well, that sounds all really exciting. And I just want to thank you both for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So tell everybody where they can find the products and, you know, kind of really check out what you guys are working on. They should go and visit epasaudio.com uh, and uh, at the, and social media. We can be found under Epos Audio uh, Gaming. So just get in there and follow us and see what we're up to. So E-P-O-S for everyone out there. And, you know, thanks everybody again for tuning in. And make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J-E-S-Q, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes.